Well, I guess that answers the old question. Yes, they're top of the league, but can they do it on a cold, wet night in Salford? And the answer is an emphatic no, sadly. Uh, granted, it was a clear, crisp Sunday afternoon, but I don't think any of the multiple storms that are barraging the UK at the moment could have saved us from that defeat, particularly after that second half performance. But welcome anyway to the Rolling Ball Leicester Tigers fans podcast, uh, which is going to be talking today about the defeat on Sunday to Sale. Looking forward to the game at home against Worcester, where we'll hopefully be bouncing back. We'll be announcing the bomb squad or the port pie squad or whatever other term you want to coin for the substitutes for Elliot's Colts corner so we can finally announce the squad and see if any of the selected players actually give a shit about it we'll start harassing them online uh, in that regard and I'm delighted to say that we will also be joined by none other than Jack Van Portfleet yes JVP will be stopping in and kindly having a chat with us we'll be talking to him about what other positions he might secretly have up his sleeve having come on as a fullback surprisingly to everyone including probably to himself as always I'm Mike I'm joined by Elliot Mate, how are you? How was your weekend? Yeah, hello, mate. Really good, thank you. Uh, pretty, pretty good. And then Sunday happened, which sort of had the potential to ruin it. So, uh, um, however, I've come out, come out smiling. So I think I'm uh, finishing the weekend, otherwise up. But um, Sunday was a bit of a, a cloud on the horizons. My uh, my wife uh, was a director in a panto, so uh, Saturday afternoon was spent supporting her uh, at the panto, which was good fun, and it was uh, a very, very good. Uh, performance of uh, Sleeve and Beauty. So, uh, oh no, it wasn't. Oh yes, it was. Mm, sorry, there was about three different points in there where I was trying to jump in with something along those lines, and I don't think I picked the best point for it. Sorry to anyone listening. I'm sure everyone else was thinking the same thing. Well, that's brilliant. Are you not, you know, being coerced into donning the tights and you know treading the boards at all? I tread. I, I wear tights on Thursday nights, mate. I don't need to be doing it again on on, on front of people. What you so, do uh, in your I, own time is your own business, yeah, yeah, my that, friend. That's it. Yeah, that's it. No, if, I couldn't think of anything worse of being up on stage and doing stuff like that. That, that takes a different level of skill and talent of which I have neither. So uh, I'd rather happy just to sit in the in the audience with my beer and watch away. And um, no, it's very good. So uh, I was a uh, proud husband, and also the storm that hit Saturday night meant I could watch the Gloucester North Newcastle game in the evening. So uh, everyone was a winner. Yeah, good game, that's actually, wasn't it? The uh, uh, yes. Can you remember for a while when the Southern Hemisphere teams, I put this on Twitter, had a monopoly of a constant conveyor belt of exciting wingers? And in the UK, you'd get like once, you know, one a generation. Well, the Welsh had a couple more. Obviously, you had like guys like Shane Williams and George North. But all of a sudden, in the UK, there's just insane wingers popping up all over the place. You had Radwan scored an outrageous finish. You're like, Oof, that's the best finish we'll see this game. And then <laughs> Lewis Rees-Sabbath comes on and goes, hold my beer. And scores an absolute <laughs> nutter of a try. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? Oh, that was glorious. I have to say, I'd, I used to play as a winger back in the day. I'd have been proud of that one. Oh, I mean, was it was br- just, bringing back never... flashbacks, was it? <laughs> Something like that. I just... He never seemed to get into top gear. He just glided all the way through to the try line without getting out of third or fourth gear. I thought it was superb. He just struck me as well. I don't know if he's had a growth spurt. I don't want to sound like his mum or anything or, or his gran, but I said, oh, he's grown. But he does. He looks chunkier, doesn't he? He looks like a big old unit now as well. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly been on the old Gloucester uh, cider diet. But um, yeah, fair play to him. A great, it, was a, yeah. it was a great finish. Considering like you think Gloucester and, and Wingers, you always think, oh, Ollie Fawley's pretty good or Johnny uh, May's a bit of all right. Yeah, and I've then got, you've got Reece Sammet. 
is Charlie Sharple still there? He he's still you know partial to the try line, I think, isn't he? Or he's been electric for a few years. Yeah, they've always had a very good selection of wingers down Gloucesterway. Who would win in a foot race between Reese Samet and Radwan? Do you think? Or oh, I'd go Radwan. Just, just over thirty. Radwan, think over the full length. I'd go Reese Samet. That's where I'm with it's it. It's a good race. That's a good race to set up, folks. Which, to be fair, Radwan's just been called up to the Six Nations squad for England. So you never know if there's injuries and a uh, a potential match. There could be a potential matchup there, which would be uh, well, the, well, there was a matchup on there was a matchup on Sunday, and I got really excited when Reece Samet made his break. I thought, oh god, go down Radwan's wing and let's see it. But he sensibly cut the other way and uh, and scored in the corner, so we didn't get to see the matchup. But very exciting nonetheless. I had a uh, good weekend, although the pressure now is on to get a dog. Turns out. Fred is more fond of dogs than he is of his parents, which I don't really blame him, but we met up with my wife's uncle. I went for a nice pub lunch, went for a walk, and we spent two hours of him just running around throwing a tennis ball. It was brilliant. I mean, the dog got tired, so, you know, my wife's uncle was happy. Fred got tired, so we're happy. Uh, And we had a nice, peaceful Saturday night, but now I've got to try and find space for a dog. She's a vet nurse, so there's always the threat that she's going to bring back another Stray, the cat that we were supposed to be looking after for two weeks is still here five years <laughs> later. Uh, so <laughs> I'm very wary of it. But uh, anyway, enough of that. We'll get on to some uh, proper Tigers talk very shortly. As always, if you want to get in touch, our handle on Twitter is Rolling Mall Pod or send us an email to the Rolling Mall at Outlook.com. Right then, on with the podcast. And unfortunately, this is effectively the second attempt at recording the news section because we recorded the first one on Monday night. And effectively, it was a two-minute job where Elliot and I said, no, not really a lot to talk about at all. And then we found out we were going to delay it to Tuesday so we could speak to JVP. And on Tuesday, we've had a Popcorn Tuesday. Very exciting, lovely announcement straight away with dramatic music, Welford scoffing as popcorn. Seven re-signings, no new signings, but I think you and I agree those seven re-signings are probably just about as important, if not nay, more important than any news of incoming signings. No, 100% I agree. I think the priority for Tigers is to keep... 90 to 95% of the current squad together as much as it can, given the, the financial constraints we're going to be under with the reduced salary cap. So to see seven signing on with us and seven, you know, pretty much big hitters, you know, they're all first team regulars and seen quite a lot of them um, over the last year or two. Certainly first team squad players, you know, they're, they're yeah. not someone who we rarely see. No, absolutely. So it's great to see them um, re-signing. It's great to see that the club have managed to negotiate um, new contracts for them because you know we said before it's not just Leicester that's going to be under pressure it's the whole league so to keep seven I mean it's not just one or two but seven um, massive players for us I think that's I think it's really impressive so well done to the club and um, for everyone involved and you know great efforts to the players for sticking around it was lovely to see some of the comments I know some of them fairly you know club friendly but some of the comments I think were fairly genuine about wanting to stay and they genuinely didn't want to look around for other options Yeah the one that stood out to me fact that we'll get to him in a second because uh, we'll just quickly run through and just say a word about each. But the first one to uh, be announced was Nick Dolly. Little pocket yep. rocket hooker, come from absolutely nowhere this season. Star said fourth choice, 
Now, probably second choice behind Montoya, but that's still in the modern game a very important part to play. And uh, Julian will be away, obviously, as well. And he's sort of scrapping it out for that reserve spot with Charlie Clare. He's still probably trying to get back to full fitness. Brilliant to see him sign on. I think he's got such an exciting career and he is still developing in, in bits of his game around his physicality. But uh, I think it's brilliant. 22 years old, he's what he's achieved already is fantastic. Yeah, considering this is probably... He's only been with the club in April last year. So, yeah, yeah it's fantastic in that sh- in such a short amount of time to have gone from being fourth choice where he was and thrown into the Exeter game to be where he is now. I think he's, he's, it's great to see him rewarded for his hard efforts. Next off the list, well, actually, I'm not going to go through it in order because I can't remember exactly who came next. But I think we then had Guy Porter. And obviously, there was a small squeal that could be heard from the southwest. That was me. Sorry. Very happy about that. <laughs> He has obviously come on leaps and bounds this season. I always thought he looked good at the start. I thought he had the raw materials and he's finally getting a chance to show what he can do. I'd still like to see him play in the centres ball, which I think is his best position. But I think he's shown off the bat that he is just a quality all-round player and will do a job on the wing or in the centres. So brilliant for him to stay. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of those players that's been a great signing for us, a hidden gem, sort of come out of nowhere has adapted really well uh, to Leicester, to the Premiership. And again, another young lad, I think he's only 25. So still yeah. got a huge amount of rugby still to be uh, to be played. And as he adapts even more to, to being in this country. So I think, yeah, again, good to see him well rewarded for, for, for what he's done so far. He described that he was enjoying the experience of living in Leicestershire. Now, Leicestershire is quite nice. I thought it was quite interesting to sort of think of living in Leicestershire being an experience that has to be lived to be believed. I'm not sure <laughs> which, which part of Leicestershire he is, which classifies as an experience. I mean, grown up there, but I'm glad to hear that he is enjoying it anyway. I'm sure might not quite compare to the sunny beaches of Sydney, where I know he played for the university. But next best thing, Rutland Water is a lovely place in the summer. Oh, no, see, oh, well, you've just, you've just sparked mutiny there because Rutland Water is in Rutland and not Leicestershire. Mm, yeah, good point. All right, accessible then. Yeah. But I mean, yes, yeah, I don't yeah. want I don't want to create another war where, you know, Leicestershire are just trying to gobble up Rutland again. <laughs> Rutland's lovely as well. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's go on. He wasn't next in line, but I kind of pair these guys together. I think we all do yes. because they're the two Aussies, but the other Sydney University player, of course, Harry Potter. Not a single pun in the press announcement, but he's re-signed. And I'd put him in the same bracket as Porter is these are two guys who come over really hungry to prove themselves they're unknowns and I think they've helped set the standard they've helped raise that standard amongst the squad in terms of what's expected the effort that's being put in and we're seeing the reward in that in continually good performances to the point where Potter is you know arguably a first choice winger for, for us now no I, I, I agree with all of that there's nothing really more to be said apart from again it's great to see someone rewarded after all the efforts that they've brought in. I think he's, um, yeah, fantastic signing for us and great to see him continue. Missed opportunity, though, was pointed out on Twitter, was that it could have been done with a video of him jumping over the hoardings where he disappears out of view, falls through, and then he lands perhaps on a, you know, in a seat next to a desk and just signs his contract. That would have been nicely done. That note, that, yeah, I like that. Note there, Bondi, just for next time, that'll be... Uh, We'd appreciate that. After that, uh, we had Matt Scott. And Matt Scott, I was particularly pleased with because I think he's got better and better as he stayed at Tigers. And I thought some of the comments that he made in that 
speech got set apart from some of the others because they felt particularly heartfelt. I mean, everybody else had said nice stuff, but you, you wonder obviously how much of it is just, you know, the standard club spiel, which is, which is fine. And, you know, I expect that, but the stuff from Scott was very, very personal and saying that he simply didn't want to go anywhere else and that his family are settled here. They, they love it around the Tigers. He loves the club. And that was just really great to see. He's a guy, he's an experienced guy who's played for Edinburgh and Gloucester and Scotland. So he knows what a good setup is. And to hear him, singing the praises, I thought was extra special. No, totally. And it, 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 like you, those comments st- stood out to me. I think what's impressive with Scotty is that in our both attacking sense and his, and defensive side, he's such a leader of our back line. And you can tell whenever he's not there, that someone else has to step up to be that person and to fulfil that role that he does. And I think even in the sort of the first initial months of, of Borthwick coming in, every time he pulled on the shirt, you could see he was 100%, he was 100% committed 100% invested in it. And I bet, he's a, I bet he's a brilliant presence to have on a training ground. So to have him with us and continue, I think is fantastic. And Dan Kelly, I think the partnership those two have got, I think is great. And I think you're seeing that bear out and how Dan Kelly's learning from him. And I think he will be the first to throw some thanks Alan's way as well, because whilst he might have been 100% committed before, I don't think he was physically in the place he is in now. And I think that is, again, fantastic with Valid. We've helped sort of piece him together because he was struggling with injuries and he's getting the rewards for it. So really happy for him. I hope he gets some more cuts for Scotland. Another one of the, I say older, he's only 31. Callum Green <laughs> was one of the more experienced guys to re-sign as well. He's someone who isn't going to get too many headlines. I think for a lot of us, we'd you know, question, is he the first choice second row or isn't he? Regardless, his importance to the team is absolutely huge. He's a real line-out Norse which obviously Borthwick will love. And he does a lot of the unseen stuff around clearing out of rucks and supporting and being strong in defence that often goes unnoticed and very sort of solid Tigers player, the kind that we need at the club. Totally. And, you know, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. He, you don't notice him in a game. So that's probably why some people go, well, what do we need him for? But if you take, again, you take him away out of that side you don't see all the stuff or you, you end up going, oh, that's why he's in there because someone else has to step up and fulfil the role that he was doing. And again, another lad that's come through the, um, the Tigers Academy, went away to play some rugby, has come back, senior player, um, senior voice, I think, on the training ground. We've got a lot of young second rows in the squad. So to have that experience and to have that sort of commitment and love for the club, such as Callum Green's got, I think he's really good. And we want to see someone like Henderson, running a line out um, on his own. Well, who better to learn from than someone like Callum Green, who's been there, done that, and knows what to do with it. Next off the list, number six, Joe Hayes. Obviously, he has to wait patiently behind Dan Cole. Struck me that he's still only 22, and he's nearly up to 100 appearances at the club. For a tight head prop, that is unbelievable. And because he's been around for so long, I think we forget just how exciting a prospect, and that's all he is still. He's still a prospect, how much growth he's got left. So, Tying him down is huge. It is staggering that statistic. It is absolutely mental when you look at it and look at then look at the age he is. It's funny when he gets called up for England, all the papers, obviously the nationals, are like oh, exciting young prospect and he's um, you know one to watch out for. And you think, well, we've been watching him for like the last three years. We know all about him because he's been playing all these games for us. And we know with props that they only really get into their stride in their sort of mid twenties and late twenties. So it's it's exciting to think that he's great now. Like he's really good at 22. Yeah. In five years' time at 27, just think how good he's going to be then. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. 
he's got a great connection with Leicester, having been through the academy and his, his, his dad and his granddad. You could tell, again, like Scotty, I think yeah. those comments jumped out to me as being a bit more from the heart and and not quite sort of corporate speak. They were absolutely, um, he meant every word of what he said. And I'm a big fan of Hazy uh, staying on with us. And, you know, in two years time, he'll probably be first choice. So yeah, what a great place to be at, um, to be learning from Coley. So yeah, great to see Hazy stay on. Last but not least, of course, vice-captain, Hanno Liebenberg resigned. That, for me, was the pick of the bunch, not because of, necessarily, you know, I wasn't happy to see the other players. I really was. But I thought he's just such an important player for us when he's fit. And he's a vice-captain. He's probably got a good shout of being captain next season. Really, really pleased to see him stick around because I'm sure he'd be in demand. No, definitely. I, I think of of all the seven, I think that one probably had the, uh, the biggest reaction um, out of everyone just because of how important he is to us. And, you know, even when... Um, we were finishing 11th. Hanro was still an important player for us and he still gave everything to the cause. And he's just Mr. Consistent. Every time he pulls on the shirt, he's a consistent seven, eight, nine out of 10. And he's a brilliant part of what we're about. This new group, he's, he's a big part of it. And yeah, to have lost him, I think would have been, uh, would have been gutted. Like you, I think he's in with a great shout of captaincy next year. And he's probably one of probably two or three really good candidates. and. If he doesn't get, you know, for well, he'll still uh, carry on his leadership in other ways. So, so yeah, I'm really pleased to see him um, sign on. And given his versatility of six, eight, four, again, a great player to have in the squad for his playing abilities, let alone his leadership. He's absolutely totemic. I think it got to a point earlier this season, at the end of last season, that away game at Exeter when he was the captain of a yes. very, very green side. And we lost, but the attitude he showed in that game, I think flagged to everyone what a leader he is. And he's really carried that on. Hope he can hit his stride and his shoulders properly fixed. Because that has a potential to become a little bit of a uh, enigma. So hopefully he won't have any more problems. But those are all the re-signings. I agree with you. Massive to get those guys back on board and locked in. That's a really good spine going forward now. Perhaps just one thing to clarify is that you almost look at who hasn't been announced. And one of those who I saw a few people comment on was Maroney. Now, is that something to be worried about, do you think? We know he said he wants to stay at the club. Do you think that he might be a victim of the salary cap constraining? We've had to look at, you know, the, perhaps him versus Scott and the, the fact that Potter can, uh, sorry, Porter can also play 13. Do you think that's something to worry about? Or perhaps, you know, at the moment, it's just an unknown. I think it's it's that second one. At, at the moment, it is an unknown. And sometimes contract negotiations do take a bit longer. So uh, clearly the club's in a position where we've got these seven locked in. We're happy to announce it. I suspect there's a few more discussions going on. Uh, Moroni's, of course, going to be one of them. And if they get another block where they can do things in a row, then you'd like to think he'll be included in that. But, you know, some, some contracts are concluded quickly. Some are, take a bit of time, you know, He's going to look around and see what options he's got. Clearly, he wants to be at the club, but he's going to. It's only natural to see, make sure that there is that that is the case, and that we are the best option for him. So, yeah, I'd like to think we will. We will. If he wants to stay, we will want him to stay. Hopefully, we can. Both parties can come to the table and do a deal. And I think that's the important thing. We probably want him to stay. He definitely wants to stay. It's it's finding the right figure for for all parties that keeps everyone happy. So, hopefully, an answer can be found. Let's 
just quickly whiz through some of the rumours that have been going around. We're not going to comment too much because there's not really a lot to talk about. The only thing there really is to say is that uh, Jimmy Gopeth, reported by the Rugby Pass, to have signed. That was pretty much where we understood things to be heading towards. I think last time we talked about it, it was either very close to being done or effectively done. We won't know anything until the club confirms it, of course, but that all looks to be two from two, Elliot, that would put us at with, with Pollard. So that's pretty good. We'll get on to some of the other ones that we've only said were potential talking about, but Gopeth we put in as being likely to be done. So we're pretty happy with that. The yeah, we'll one, take that. Yeah, we'll take that. The other one, Joe Marlowe, we had a week of up and downs, didn't we, last week with it? We had Harlequins suggesting they were going to announce someone uh, re-signing for them. It was thought to be Marla, then it turned out to be Care. Everyone got excited that it wasn't Marla, and then Marla came on Instagram or Twitter and said, don't worry, I've got another year. We don't really think that changes things, really, do we, in terms of where we saw things before? No, definitely. Like, like you just said, all he's stated is, I've got one more year. But we were pretty confident that was the case anyway. He hasn't actually said the words, I'm staying. So all he's done is state something that we think is the case anyway. So it's interesting to see how that one plays out. Like me and you have said repeatedly over the last few weeks, you know, it's one thing for us to be talking to him. It's another thing for him to actually come. And there's an awful long way for him to go for for that to happen. And we've always said our hearts felt he'd probably stay at Quinn's. And I don't think anything's changed in the last week or so to to have changed our mind. No, exactly. And I think to clarify what we're saying by we've always known he's had next, another year on his contract is that he has another year in the same way that Genge or Fordy did in that he has an option to leave 12 months early and it's up to Tigers or whoever else to persuade him to activate this option. And from those comments, it looks like he's leaning towards not doing that at the moment. But we don't know whether those talks are concluded, whether they're ongoing. So we just keep our eyes to the ground and see how we go. Apart from that, I think that's pretty much it on the rumour mill. Ashton? Oh, Oh, oh yes. Behold, Dark Cloud today. Neil Fistler, who is usually reasonably on the money. He has had the odd howler, but he's usually on the money with these things. He said Chris Ashton's been training with the Tigers, having obviously been summarily dismissed from his contract at Worcester Warriors, allegedly for getting involved in a training ground scrap. He's apparently training at the Tigers. Elliot, thoughts on that? Um, Chances are that's probably likely. I think he was seen around Odeby, uh out and about. So it's highly likely... Is this a genuine scene around Odeby? Not yeah, Dan, Ca- Dan, Car- Dan Carson was seen coming out of Greg's in Wigston. No, I genuinely did get, did get told he might have been around in and around uh, Odeby. Um, well, to be fair, if you think about it, he's probably still got his property from when he played at Saints. You know, a lot of the Saints and Leicester boys play and live... Um, sorry, they would live in and around Harborough and around that sort of Northamptonshire, Leicestershire yeah. border. So... It wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's if he's got a property um, still around. Um, the thing with Ashton, he comes with a lot of baggage, right? And we all know that there's a there's a history there and a, the rumours that come with him that he's you know maybe a bit of a bad apple. If anyone, I'm a bit dubious of it. However, being a Leicester City fan, Pearson, as we as I as you we all know, is my sort of conduit of what I think Borthwick is like. Pearson, Nigel Pearson was very apt at taking on players with sort of a checkered um, past or um, maybe had some sort of baggage with it and was comfortable that he would lay down the discipline and lay down the law enough to keep them in check and to get the best out of them. Borthwick, for me, is probably one of the few coaches in rugby who I would trust enough that if he offered um, Ashton the contract and it was at the right price for Tigers and so on and so forth, that it would be under a, look, 
any shen- any whiff of shenanigans throughout the club. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I trust Borthwick enough to, to get the best out of him and to know how to handle him best. And if there is any sign that things might be going a bit sour, it wouldn't be tolerated and he's out of the club. So I'm dubious, but I'm not 100% against it if, if we do announce a contract for a few months to, until the end of the season, just to see how we get on. That's it. I, I wouldn't want anything beyond the season. Perhaps you'd want him there as extra cover in case of injury, perhaps. I mean, we've still got Cobus van Vijk there, you know, we're paying him. So I, I don't want it to be a waste of salary, but if we've got spare room in the cap for this season, it may be a useful person to ha- have along. I mean, he is up there as being one of the top try scorers in premiership history. He's still got a hunger for it and his physical conditioning could never be questioned. He is always in extraordinarily good shape. And I think physically he's not really, certainly the last time I saw him play, he hadn't really slowed down or, or, or shown weakness. He's always had that weakness, obviously, for defence in his game, but his attacking play has always been right up there. His attitude is questionable. And I say that because with a bit of hesitancy, because whenever I see him interviewed, I see lots of people say, actually, he's kind of the heart and soul of the club. He is a great character to have around and he is a little bit Marmite, but you need kind of people like that within a club. But there have been a few too many incidences where he has been forced to leave or he has left a club pretty quickly that means that there's usually no smoke without fire. And we what we seem to have is a pretty good squad harmony going at the moment. You don't really want anything to upset that at all. So you hope that if Borthwick makes a judgment on it, it will be one that he's pretty comfortable with that he can control. But I wouldn't be against it per se. And I think the, the usual thing in Borthwick we trust probably rings true. <laughs> All right, let's get it over and done with then. Let's talk about Sunday afternoon. Defeat sale second. Yeah, do we, we do. Do we have to? Do we have to? I, I think I was vetoed in my suggestion that we only release this podcast when we've won games, which is why we've been so consistent so far. But instead, we have to talk about the fact uh, Tigers throwing away a 21-5 lead to lose 35-26 away to Sale Sharks. No shame at all in losing away at Sale. I think they've not had the best season, but their home record is pretty bloody impressive. I think all of their games that they've won have been at home. I think it's five from six now. But the nature of the defeat was pretty galling. And I even found myself, to my dismay, doing a pretty reasonable Lawrence Delalio impression. You know Delalio when he's a pundit, he is mind-irritatingly obvious with some of the stuff he says. But he says it with such authority, like he, he's saying something really groundbreaking. And uh, at the end of the game, I said, I goes, well, it's a quintessential game of two halves, isn't it? Which is straight out of the Delio playbook. And I felt immediately sick with myself. Elliot, what were your headline thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there is no disgrace in losing at sale. And there's no disgrace in losing a game full stop. You know, these things happen. It's, you know, sport. Um, but like you said, the, the, the manner of it is probably the... Um, the thing that hurts a little bit more in these circumstances. I think, it, it, to be fair, a little bit like the game yesterday, our analysis probably will be in two halves, where the first half we sort of um, lay out all the negatives and we um, point them out. But I think there is still a few positives to take from it at the end, which I think we'll we'll finish on to, to, to make sure we go into the weekend with some um, positivity and some positive thoughts. But the, um, the, f- the three headline things I wrote down regarding the Sunday's game was such a Norse writing down notes after games yeah, I, and during games. I love it. Brilliant. 
Mate, everyone at, with my everyone memory, at home, this is why I memory, picked Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> mate, with my memory, you've got to write stuff down because it's like the, the other fish from uh, Finding Nemo where it'll come in and come out back out again rather quickly. So you've got to write <laughs> this shit down. Um, first one I wrote down was possibly the worst defeat of Borfolk's reign. I know it sounds a bit of a controversial statement, but if you look at the um, Bristol and Wasps games all those months ago, there is a certain amount of mitigating circumstances involved in there. I mean, we were playing effectively the kids at that point. Steve had only really been involved for a few weeks. Wasn't really his team. He's still getting to know them. We expected to take a few lickings, didn't we? It was expectation. Yeah, in hindsight, there was a sense of inevitability about the getting hosed because of the whole circus that was going on at the time. So now, if you fast forward 18 months to where we are now, once if you, we know the quality of the coaching the boys are getting, we know how much we've improved in the last 18 months. We know we are far and away a much more advanced team from what we were way back then. To have got into that position after being so well coached and to be such a better team, to get to what 21-5 up and then with half an hour to go, come out on the losing side. And in that half an hour period, lose it 30 points to five. I think that really is, I think mm. it comes together and be the worst defeat so far for him. Which, to be fair, you know, one horrific defeat in 18 months, I think we can, or for the last 18 months. Well, take that. I'd, have, so I'd have taken only 50% of our matches being horrific defeats as being an improvement before. So as you say, yeah, you've got it. we will look at it in some perspective. Perspective will come later. Let's go with the hysterical for now. Yeah, I mean, let's get, let's get it out of the way. The second point I wrote down was possibly this is the first time Steve will probably need to have tough words for the players. I think his public announcements to us after the game were still focused on the positives, which is quite right. And I get what, um, I completely understand why he does so. And I I always enjoy listening to Steve anyway, because it's always quite interesting of, of how he approaches it. I think the first time, actually, when they come in and do their analysis um, of the game, I think this is the first one where he really will be quite stern in them because, it, you know, sailed up their intensity, they up their, um, their work rate, and we didn't go with them. And it was quite strange to see this Leicester side that has done so, mm. so many good things in the Steve Borthwick. Just not be, well, not being able to match it and almost collapse under that pressure that, that got mounted. And we never normally do that. And I think for the first time, you know, he will probably be annoyed about that and actually start questioning things because it is so unexpected and so almost unexplainable what happened. I think he is. there is going to be some tough questions that will be asked internally, let alone what us as fans say. I think for the first time, some, some harsh words may have been said because it was... The, I dared use the words unacceptable, but I don't think some of what went on was acceptable. To be honest, not by the high standards that the team give themselves, let alone by anything else. I mean, they set themselves high standards, and I don't think they met them. And in the first point was this: this is probably the first time where I've actually had to question Steve's subs and team selection. And the two I wrote down were JVP on for Burns. That's that's we know Burns. Freddie's come out and said the reasons why he had to come off. I, it's not that. You know, Steve said it, so obviously Steve's confirmed it. Freddie's confirmed it as well. So we can understand why Freddie had to come off. I'm not disputing that. But why not bring Sacchino on rather than JVP and we have to shift everyone around? I mean, in my mind and my eyes, you have Sacchino on the bench because presumably he's there as 10, 12 and 15 cover. The fact he's not come on when you're 10 is about to come off suggests, well, that's a bit of a wasted wasted selection. If you're not going to select... If you're going to select Chino and not bring him on, well, 
you know, if that feels a bit of a wasted thing, why not bring, have Kinney on the bench if that's what you're going to go down? Or why yeah. not have AA and other if you're going to have that swap? And then it's the same one at the same time was Hanro on for Rafael. And I mean, I love Hanro and he's great. But in my mind, he's a six, an eight and a four if needed. He's not there in the seven role. Every time he's played at seven, I never think we've seen the best of Hanro. He is good at the whole going into breakdowns and slowing the ball up, but it's not his game. He picks and chooses when he comes on to. You know, we have Ollie Robinson on the bench that, in again, in, in my mind, is a um, turnover specialist and a, a tackler and gets involved in the breakdown and, and being a bit of a nose and slowing the ball up for the opposition. Well, with half an hour to go, we we take Tommy Turnover off, who'd spent 50 minutes getting in the way of every sale, breakdown and, and annoying the shit out of them. We bring Ollie, um, we bring Hanro on, sorry, and, and we lose that ability. And you combine those two things and you think well actually for the first time we've we're doing weird and wonderful things for substitutions it's not the norm and it's disrupted us and there's more obvious choices on there and it seems to have for once I look at Stephen go I don't think you got that one right and it's okay what a brilliant time to be in where 18 months of a coach's reign for the first time I'm looking at him go I don't agree with you and I mean again this this shows you how far we've come and how brilliant we have been but 18 months in we're actually annoyed about something. I mean, fucking hell. What, what great times to be in if we're having this as a moan. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we'll probably pull apart some of those decisions as we go through the game. But I, I think you're definitely on the right track with all of those. And I, I'd agree. I think it's the first time I think some of Steve's team selections, squad selections and off-field decisions can probably be questioned. Obviously, we don't know the injury status of players because the club doesn't tell us. So we'll have to hypothesise and assume that people are fit unless we've been told otherwise. And the same goes for the players as well. There definitely was a drop-off of intensity. I've got no doubt about effort. Effort is different to intensity. I don't think players gave up, but I don't think they responded to this increase in intensity by sale smartly. They didn't try and take the sting out of the game. They panicked under pressure, made bad decisions, and they didn't raise their own intensity, start to lose the physicality battle, which is, I think, probably the first time that's really happened, certainly this season. And that was a bit of a concern. And then, obviously, as we say, there's all sorts of questions to be raised as well, I think, over that last 30 minutes. It wasn't pretty watch. Well, look, let's. I'm going to do it. I know you said let's finish on the positives. I'm also going to start with the positives. We're going to have it like a compliment sandwich, the nice. cheesy like, business oh, term that you talk about. So let's talk about the first half. Because in that first half, we go into the get quite a comfy lead going up. Was it 21 5 at that time? Or was it 18 5? I think it, we went in at half time. That wasn't it. 18 5, yeah. two tries, one from Montoya, one from Porter. We'll, and we'll touch on both of those. Let's talk about uh, Julian first, because throughout the game, I thought he was our standout player. I thought he was absolutely fucking immense. I thought that there were times in the second half where we lacked leaders and on field presence. There was one guy in my mind who maintained that throughout and didn't let his standard drop. A couple of line-out throws aside, perhaps. But I thought he was absolutely sublime. His carrying, his work rate of defence, his hits, and obviously his work on the mall. Yet another driving mall try. I heard some people say, oh, we'll take out the driving mall, we're in trouble. I, I ne- never liked that argument. It's all right, we'll take out a kicking game and we're in trouble. Take out tackling and we're in trouble. You know, it's part of the game. It's all, it's it's part of everything. So you don't take it out. It is part of what we do. And it was very successfully run yet again by Julian. And um, I think more and more by the day, he looks like, frankly, one of the best hookers in the league, if not the world, in my mind. Yes, I, I completely agree with all of I mean, The phrase and terminology world-class is banded around quite a lot. 
I think with some justification that can be applied to Montoya because he is simply superb. And the one thing I'd add to, to everything you've just said, which is spot on, is his work in the scrum. I think his work rate in the scrum time, I think, actually allows our props to do a lot of their work because he's such a strong scrummager in his own right. And I think, you know, we saw when he was on the pitch that we started in a couple of drums. I think we won at least one against the head as well. And I yeah. think that's down to... Um, I think there is a bit of a drop off compared to some of the other hooks at scrum time. And I think Julian gives us that. But yeah, it's just a player. What a signing he has been. And I'm so glad he's 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 a tiger because I thought he was absolutely superb, as he often has been so far. And if we talk about um potential candidates to see next year, I think I think he's got to be mixed. I think his certain his certain name's got to be up there. Well, it's one of the first names on the team sheet, which is what you want from a skipper, isn't it? And what I mm. like about him, he's very different to a lot of modern hookers in that you look at someone like Malcolm Marks, you're like, oh, if you just come from Mr. Universe, you, you're just moonlighting as a number two in this rugby team, are you? Because they're so chiselled. I'm not saying potential doesn't fit, but he has just natural size and strength. He's a much bigger guy than I think we realise. And he hits so fucking hard. So I think that's really, really exciting to see how he carries on. And I think, you know, we've got another, hopefully at least another season with him and hopefully you'll sign on for more because I think he is a really important player for us. Now, you just touched on him a second ago. Next to him, one other positive we have to come to is the fact James Whitcomb made his first premiership start. I thought not only did he hold his own in the scrum, he actually got a nudge on. I thought he was unfairly penalised at one point because they said, oh, you've come around the side. But I thought, well, actually, the guy's folded and the only way he can go is through him, which Flatman. is side on. Flatman agreed with you. Flatman said he'd be... Flatman texted me Flatman me personally and said, yes, thanks, Mike, I agree. <laughs> thanks. I've just pinched your comments and I'll publicise them myself. But I completely agree. And so we've talked before, obviously, Genji's a big loss and you know a few good performances by Whitcomb at this stage isn't going to change that. But what we want to see is the potential for him to become a, a first choice at a first class number one. and. I think we saw that, to be honest. I twice agree. I mean, the, one of the things that I, I put on at half time was I was enjoying his performance because I thought his work rate and his st- business that he was doing, I thought was very, very good. And I thought it was fantastic to see not just his t- work at scrum time, but his carry in and his overall work rate, I thought was very, very high and showed a lot of what Joe Hayes was doing in the, the first few um, appearances Joe made and he kicked on to real good measure to what we've seen now, where Joe's probably just on about a couple of 90 appearances for the club, which is staggering for, for young lads like Hayes to be at that level. But you look at James Whitcomb and you think, well, actually, you know, you can be at this at this level and you can do it. And I think it was great confidence booster for him because in the time that he was on the pitch, he'd got through a hell of a lot of good work. And me and you were texting after the game, as we always do. And you know, it, I think it's a very fair question that gets raised. I mean, in terms of second choice, loose head, or in the re- in the pecking order, has he gone above Francois Van Veek? And yes, there might still be a co- yeah. I I would probably say he's probably on a par or, or above Francois now because it was such a high level performance from a young lad. I I think it's got to be there has to be more to come from him, and I think it's great when you look at recruitment for loose head for next year because you now go okay, he's putting his hand up. He wants to be involved a lot more, and I think that does it helps the coaches, whatever decision they make with recruitment, to have that option there because he's 
he was brilliant, quite frankly. It gives you a safety blanket as well to know that you've got a guy who can go to a tough pack like Sale. He was against Oosthausen, wasn't he? That's who he's scrimmaging against. That's a springbok. It is not an easy way to not- see how you go. Well, to be fair, I think he was meant to be playing last week against Bordeaux, against, Christ, who was it going to be? Uwe Antonio or Poirot or whoever it might be. I can't remember. What a huge, huge French unit. Yeah, some unit. So it, it wasn't going to be easier if he started last week. But I, for me, I think he's gone above fan fake. I think Saints fans seemed convinced that he was a very good scrummager. I haven't really seen that yet. I think, ironically, his best performance was against Northampton. I thought he looked really good, had a good all-round game. I'm not saying, you know, he's done at the club or anything like that. He'll still have a part to play. But I think Whitcomb is showing some good potential. You look back as well to when George Martin started, and it took him actually a few games to kind of get up to the physicality of first-choice premiership rugby. And then once he did, he got the confidence and he realised he could throw himself around a bit. And it wasn't just a case of do your best. It's like, no, I'm going to do some damage. And I think we'll see that from Whitcomb as well. I think he has the potential to be a strong carrier. No one's going to be like Genge, but, you know, he'll be putting his hand up there and he'll learn the traits and he'll become confident to become more destructive in defence as well. So I thought it was really, really exciting and, and absolutely kudos to him. I'd still probably, if I was going to pick a first choice team, a first choice bench, because Nephi can play both sides, probably still have Nephi as the loose head option just for the sheer the sheer usefulness of bringing a small bungalow off the bench to come and run the rest of the game out. So, But I think for me, I think he's probably a bad fan fight now. And I think that's really exciting. No, definitely. I, I remember watching him play against Worcester away at the back end of last season. And again, at scrum time, he did some damage there. And I think, yeah, I think he's he's a great... I think he loves the club. When you look at the sort of the videos and the bits and pieces that, that you see around the club and the, the bits and pieces you hear around about around it all, I think he's a big part of that sort of culture. I think he's quite clearly loves the club, loves to be involved at this level, loves being in amongst it. And I think he's a big part of, of that team spirit and team culture. So yeah, you've got to have lads like that in a team. And he joins the crop of excellent youngsters we've got and um, I want to see more from him, to be fair. Yeah, very exciting. He's going to be another one of those guys like Chess and Mike Martin. I look forward to seeing play every time because you generally see an improvement in their game and it's really exciting seeing them feel that potential. Now, let's go and talk about Guy Porter's try, which probably could have its own podcast if I had my way because this is, as you know, the Guy Porter fan cast. Uh, he gets that ball 50 metres out, 49 if I'm being accurate, but we'll round up to 50. And he's got three covering sale defenders a quick in and out. See you later, Van Rensburg. Bye. Then I think he goes through Cliff, the scrum half, doesn't he? Just straight through him. No need to yeah, sidestep. Bosh. See ya. Namani's been handing him some tips. And and then a nice straight right to Roebuck covering across, who's a very decent young wigger, actually. And he sits him down and goes in. What a try. One of the best finishes of the season. Yeah, definitely. I, I, we're both big fans of Guy and what he's brought to us. And... It's a great finish and it, it comes back to, we, we spoke a few weeks ago about his try scoring abilities. So I'd added to it and he's starting to score some really nice tries. That, of all the ones he scored, quite easily is going to be try of the season for him. So finally, he might, you know, we've still got a few months left to play in the season. But what a finish. And quite rightly, that will go down in his highlights reel. And he should be, for someone that's probably more of a centre playing on the wing, that is a fantastic finish. And to be fair, I've just said that there might be questions now to go, is he more of a winger? Because if you're, fair enough, he's no. got blessed with express pace. Or are you still sticking to him? No, he's, a, a, he's a 13. He's a quality 13. He could do a job on the wing. Uh, and he's positionally smart. But uh, for me, he is a 13. 
through and through. I think that yeah. he is two isolates on the wing. I know what you mean because he's putting some great performances on the wing. But for me, that is indicative of him being a very good rugby player, not him being a specialist winger. I think, yeah, for me, he's still still a centre. But I mean, he goes about his works without any fuss whatsoever. A bit like Potter, who actually had a quieter game. You know, he's always impressed. He actually struggled to get involved in the game, I thought, really, to be honest, uh, yes. against Hale. But Porter has very much sort of come up and matched him, though, this season as it's gone on and become equally important to the squad. So I think we're very lucky to have both of them, but seeing what Guy can offer, because he has that pace, he has that power, he has a skill set as well. He's not afraid to put in a few kicks every now and again. <laughs> there was one which he put in earlier on in the season, which wasn't his best, but he basically kicked it straight to their fly half and then just clattered him. Was it? Yeah. yeah I can't I remember it was who. Buff, wasn't it? Was yeah, it Buff, Buff he... when he just absolutely launched himself at Cipriani? Yeah. In desperation, could he absolutely nosed up his kick? Yeah, but it ended up being brilliant because Cipriani dropped it. So we wanted, he just sort of, <laughs> it was almost like, kick it. Who do I really not like? Right, I'll kick it to you. Then you've got to catch it and then I'll muller you. Uh, but he was absolutely fantastic. So we go in and our tails are up. It's 18 points to five up. Perhaps should have been more. I still felt we wasted some opportunities and some territory. We'll talk. Let's talk about Freddie Burns now, actually, because yeah. that first half was perhaps a bit mixed from Freddie in some ways. But I think if I watch it back, I actually think he had a very, very decent game. And he had a very decent game doing the basics. The reason we won territory very comfortably in that first half, in my mind, was because of the way that he played the basics territory game, the long game, kicking long. He found grass, he found space, he kicked very long. He was really a good touch on the ball. And his passing and his use of the back line, his use of his forward runners, really sound, easy decisions, and he was making right decisions. <laughs> Until we got into their 22 or in and around their 22. And then he tried about three different types of kicks, none of which worked, and all of which handed possession back or the initiative back. And that kind of, I thought, put a bit of a sour note on his performance. Now, ironically, those are the kind of kicks we we expect to see from Freddie and we expect to see come off most of the time. Didn't really work for him. And I, I still feel like he still needs more of a run at 10. And just to be said, look, just do your basics. Don't try and force anything. Do your basics. You'll get your tries. And then as the game breaks up later on, you can try a bit of magic. I, I, I agree with that. Before the game, the expected wisdom was that whoever controlled the game would win it. And we, all of us, both on our podcast and others, have said the, the fly half and the scrum half, or the, you know, that battle of nine and ten between the two teams, the winner of that probably wins the game. And we're looking at Wiggy and Burns for us. It's going to be crucial how we go on. Well, if you look at that 40 minutes, we controlled that game. I don't know the possession or the territory stats from that first 40 minutes, but I'd like to think that territory stats alone were heavily in our favour because it seemed very little rugby was being played in a, our half, and B, our 22. A lot of the play was being played in the areas that we wanted to be playing in. That alone probably tells you that your scrum half and fly half have got their control right on the game. The fact we were playing all of our rugby in the areas we wanted to, and we had a control on the grip on the game, that tells you that the, the, the fly half is doing what he's been asked to do on the pitch. And it's not just us that was saying it. I was, I was watching the game on IV yesterday, thankfully free to air, so well done on a separate point, well done for making that available. But the, the, the pundits and that were on there, David Flatman in particular, were saying that how well Freddie was doing and so was Jordan Murphy and he was saying that the game was being controlled quite nicely by Freddie. So it's not just us that are saying that Freddie's having a good game. The fact that they as neutrals are saying, you know what, Freddie's having a, a decent game here. He's, he's kicking games quite nice and he's doing some good stuff. That I think probably tells you that he's got his balance right. And I, I was trying to look at it 
at Freddie from a neutral. I would probably have given that first half performance from Freddie a six and a half or seven out of ten. He's not yeah. perfect. He's not hitting everything. But overall, he's doing more good stuff than bad. And he's, you know what? 100%. As a back, let's remember what he is. He's our second choice 10. And we are always going to compare him to George because that's only natural. But if you were to take Fordy out of it and actually look at it in its own rights, you've got a second choice 10 playing for the first time at 10 in a few weeks. He's actually doing a pretty good run of things. He's playing quite nicely. And I think actually the kick, those free kicks you mentioned in the 22, I think in some cases it was the right option to kick. It was the execution. Yeah. I think he saw the right play, but it was the execution that let him down. I agree with you. I would keep going with him because I think there was a fair, there was more than enough actually. I'm, I don't know why I'm going to be polite. There was more than enough there to say, actually, you know what? Take away the Leicester, look, stop looking through a Leicester hat. If you were at any neutral looking at that game, you'd go, you know what? Freddie's had a good game. And that, that to me is a, a sign for actually for 50 minutes, he was he was having a good performance. And it was a shame really that, you know, um, injury and, and the medical condition has to bring him off. Yeah, let's clarify that because a lot of us thought at the time it was a tactical decision to go and bring off Freddie. And we'll come on to who came on for him. Uh, in a moment, because he looked pretty grumpy. He looked pissed off at coming off. It turns yes. out that's frustration at a long-standing condition, which means he cramps up a fair bit. Now, there are two things that come out of this is, well, three things, really. The first one is Bryce Hegarty played at 10. Now, I've said this before, he comes on. I think he's a good fullback who can fill in at 10. And I think he might do a better job at 10 if he's got another receiver, another pair of eyes there with him. The thing is, when we signed him from the Reds, he was playing predominantly at fullback. He started his career at 10 and then was moved to fullback. And there wasn't really an outstanding 10 at the Reds. And the reason usually that you will get moved there is because actually you don't really have that natural authority to run the game by yourself as the sole playmaker. And I thought he had a poor game. I'll be quite quite blunt, I thought Bryce did. I still think he's a good player and he's a good all-round skill set. I think he's a really good fullback and a really good second distributor. But for me, he panicked a bit under pressure as did a lot of players about the 10 you're going to be more exposed for that obviously we saw that with the kick and the charge down for one of their tries he was getting the ball way too deep and then hoiking it back even further so we really did start to threaten them we looked pretty blunt in attack that leads me on to the second point in that the and you touched on it before it's one of the, the main issues the makeup of the bench for me was just not right if you know you're going into this where you've got a fly half and a fullback, and the fly half might not make it through the game. The way our bench was set up that if either Bryce or Freddie got injured, we would be short of experience to either cover fly half or fullback, depending who went off and how you switched it. And it just didn't make any sense to me, particularly when we bought on JVP. Now, if you make a sub, you want to be, unless it's a four substitution as this turned out to be, but even if it is, you want to be bringing on something that's going to add something. Bringing on a scrum half who's never played fullback in a professional game, for me, doesn't add a lot. It adds a, a factor of the unknown and a what the fuck's happening about it. But that's not really what you want. JVP at four, you saw Wigglesworth at points talking to him, telling him where to go. I have to say, I thought JVP was fine at fullback. In fact, he made one nice outside break. We know he's a great runner. He's actually quite good under the high ball as well. And we saw that again. So he, he didn't have a bad game whatsoever, but he wasn't experienced and it, it didn't give Bryce a comfort blanket of a second distributor. Sacchino stayed on the bench as we know. And that didn't make any sense. Surely we have an international fullback in Marimu Rivalu, who has had a really good couple of weeks in attack. I mean, defence has been a bit so-so. 
surely it would have been more sensible to have him as the outside back cover and be able to bring him on because he can also play centre and wing as well. It just didn't make much sense to me. And I thought that the selection in that regard was short-sighted and the substitution that followed from that was wrong, to be quite blunt. Agreed. I mean, I come back to the point of why have Sacchino on the bench if you're not going to bring him on at the point yeah. which he's on the bench for? Because he can't be on the bench for any other reason than to be a 10-12 cover. You know, JVP is our scrum half. And if we get desperate, he could probably cover on the wing. So Chino is there for 10 or 12 and maybe 15 if we get if we get stuck. And Sal Mack is on there for cover wing positions. So therefore, what why are we having JVP come on at 15? It just does not make sense. Like you just said, if we're not going to do that then why have Sacchino on the bench in the first place? Why not have Kinney start and have Hegarty on the bench to cover those positions? I mean, we saw against Connacht what Kinney was doing out on the wing and fullback's probably his best position. So therefore you think, well, actually in that circumstances, letting Kinney have a bash and, and against the physical team, having a bit of a physical presence in the back three um, would probably be a good thing. It, it just feels highly unnatural to have put Sacchino on the bench and then not used him in that circumstances when he's there for that reason. So I I don't think it's great for... I don't think it's a great look for Sacchino. I don't think it's a great vote no. of confidence in him in that you've picked him and in the circumstances that you picked him for, you've then not picked him anyway. Well, I think one of the issues as well that we had was that Sale didn't have to do a huge amount to win this. They upped their intensity. And as you say, we then didn't respond in kind. We started to lose a physicality. I think Callum Green is a really, really sound player. He gets around the park well, but I think he got targeted a fair bit and he got clattered quite a lot by their meaty pack. It was, you know, good defence by them, but we shouldn't be sending Callum in on, you know, single carries really because he's not going to make yards. And the panic started setting. We were making bad decisions. We were executing them badly. But it's not helped if off-field you're bringing on a nine to play at 15. It's going to make you think, well, what the fuck's happening here? Well, crikey, we must be back to the wall on this already. And then you've got Bryce trying things that don't come off like the chip over the top, as I mentioned before. That kickoff, you know, that went to short, flat one, where one of the basics of that is that you have to have cover there. Now, that's not necessarily Bryce's fault. I assume he's called it. The fact we had chases meant they knew it. Where the fuck is the cover? I don't know if that's Jose who's supposed to be dropping back. I assume he'd meant to be the first chaser. But that that is stuff that is is panic. People haven't thought it through because they're panicking. So, you know, things are going wrong. Again, slightly worried about the lack of leadership there to really take the game by the scruff of the neck. That was a bit concerning. I even saw Kelly and Scott, who are usually so good in defence, they were making mistakes in defence. They were stepping in, stepping up, whatever it might be. And we started to get to that point where we had pre-Borthwick where mistakes rolled into more mistakes. I don't want to get into points where you're bagging players because I, I don't think it's fair. I don't, I don't think anyone had an absolute disaster of a game. It was exactly. a collectively below-par performance, and I think everyone will say that. And it wasn't helped by below-par decisions that came from, from off-pitch as well. Now, you and I have discussed this before coming on the pod. One thing we think is a bit of a constant this season, maybe not that we've always played badly, but we've played less well, is the third quarter in games. We generally yes. drop off a fair bit. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, we've looked over some of the games that we've won. And even in them, we've had a, a, a pretty tough third quarter where, for whatever reason, we've lost that control of the game that we've had previously. 
and we've let the opposition in. Now, in the first half of the season, it's almost gone a bit unnoticed because our fitness and our uh, overall performance has been strong. So, in fact, we've come back in the final quarter and we've done well. But even if you think of like a dominant win away at Worcester, that third quarter, that third 20 minutes, we were shocking. And Worcester were all over us. Now, it was our good defence and our brilliant um, character and, and hunger that kept them out. So but it doesn't. So we almost go well. You didn't see any. You didn't see any results of that. But we could have conceded a try and a yellow card in that te- twenty minutes away at Worcester, because we never got going. And there's a there is a, a fair amount across the season. We talked about it at, against Connacht a couple of weeks ago. That third quarter, Connacht scored two tries. Was it three? No, it was two tries. But in that, uh, with twenty minutes to go, we thought we were down and out because how of how strong they'd come on in that third quarter. And it and they blew us away a little bit against Wasps three weeks ago. We lost that game because again, quite similar to to what happened on Sunday. That third quarter came in, they upped their intensity, and we didn't match them. Which and in that game, we couldn't match them for that whole forty minutes, and we never really, you know, we had a, a one shot I think right at the end where we might have, have scraped something from it. But ultimately, the game was won by the opposition in that third quarter, and we just didn't match it. And previously we've gotten away with it, but now we're not. And I think this is a consistent fawn in our side. And I think we need to, to address that, whether it's a, what we do at halftime, whether it's our routine, whether it's the message, whatever it is, I think we need to, to, to do something. Because I think if you to look over the first half of the season, I think you'd find a drop-off in performance in quite a lot of games in that third quarter. I entirely agree. It, and it's hard to pinpoint what that might be. It always seems to be the intensity takes a while to get back going. So I don't know how we refire that up. Um, coaches will know a lot more about it than I do. We always seem to make more mistakes and give away silly penalties, which is potentially lack of concentration, that we're, we're less focused get, coming back in. And I, I would usually say, oh, well, that's sometimes to be expected after halftime. But usually the opposition are coming out firing and we then don't match up to it. And that is slightly worrying. So I think that it's something that, again, can now be easily identified and knocked on the head. And hopefully we can try and build on that and, and make sure that it doesn't happen going forward. So it was a pretty disastrous uh, second half, in all honesty. Then obviously we conceded four tries, uh, 35-26 final score. Montoya got over for actually another really good rolling mall try. That was a really well-worked one. Let's try and finish on, on some of the positives from the game and look forward to next week. So, I mean... I'll give you a couple straight off the bat. I thought that it was great to see Hanro back out there. I thought that Martin had a very, very solid game at six. I thought he was one of the guys who still delivered big hits and put himself about. And it was good to see him as a line-out option again as well. I think he wants to remind Eddie Jones that he can jump too, you know, if Chesham in the squad. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think that there's still a lot of good in that first half that's there. And as I said, Sale... They were really clinical. I want to give them credit for that. But what happened was pretty self-inflicted. And hopefully it'll be a well-aimed kick up the backside. But that's, you know, technically two league losses on the bounce. Well, not technically. It is two league losses on the bounce. And we have a really good opportunity to put it right at home against Worcester, which you'd hope is the best possible, one of the best possible fixtures to put things right against. That's a kiss of death right there, isn't it? But we're at home. So there's a positive for start. We actually get a home game again. And then... I think over the next four weeks, I think three of them are at home. Um, yeah, fuck it. When did so we last have a game at Welford Road? 
Yeah, we've not played since at home. Is it Falcons? Falcons at home because obviously Bordeaux got called off. Yeah, I was so wondering. Either way, we've got yeah. we've got an opportunity to be back home, which is good. I think you know we've got to remember a few things here. We we're all a bit down because we lost. Sarri's lost. You know they went away to to wasps and they. Oh lost. yes, yeah, Queens, I pointed this out. Yeah, you know let's let's. Let's have a look around at the moment. Let's not get too despondent because, you know, Saris went up to Coventry and they lost. Quinns went down to Bath and they lost. Exeter lost to Irish, who, to be fair, look a team up and coming. But yeah, they're, you know, your dark they're another now, big hitter. I think they could be. So there's another Exeter, another big hitter. They're down in seventh. <laughs> so we're still top. So let's be, let's stay, remember this. Let's keep the positives around it. We are still top. Every team that has ever won a league in football or rugby over a season will probably have a sticky patch. It is a long, long season and every team will always fluctuate in form. This is just the ours. We are going through a bit of a minging period of maybe results get uh, drop off and our performances drop off. That's only natural. That always happens. Better to do it now, put it right and go again towards the end of the season when it really matters. Having some learning and having some tough lessons to go through now is perfectly acceptable. And we've got to remember that how we've gone about our season so far means we might have a cluster of defeats at the same time. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter because we have played 13, 14 league games now. So I think it's 13 league games. We've got 11 victories. That's insane. By any like measurement, that is an insane ratio where you've got two defeats and 11 wins. It just so happens because of we've gone 11 wins or you know in a row, but we've now got two defeats in a row. It, it feels awful. But remember the grand scheme of the grand shake-up shape of how it's been. It still seems okay because of that. And we've still got a host of fixtures, starting with a home one to go through. So I think let's, let's put it into perspective. You know, Saturday, and I think you can have these two conversations. Sunday, that last half an hour, it was a bit of a stinker. We didn't play very well. And I think we should call it out for what it was and say we play very well. And it is fine to, to, to have a bit of a moan and a rant. But at the same point, we can still be looking at the overall big picture of it and go, you know what? We're doing all right overall. We can still be happy. But we can't really say the positives if you don't, if we can't address the, 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 the harsh truths of, at times that need to be said. Uh, so we've always been very honest on that this. Comes out. Yeah, we're always trying to be honest. I think we've got to be. We have effectively just been cheerleaders for the last, you know, first half of the season because we've not had anything to moan about. But we are going to be honest either way with how we see things, and I think that this loss and perhaps these couple of performances have have been coming. They've been creeping into games where we've won but not been playing well, and we've been said, "Oh, well, sign of a good side to win and not play well." It's also the sign of a good side to play well, and we need to get back to doing that. And we've got a cracky opportunity to do it against Worcester. Your point about the other teams losing is a good one because Six Nations window is always a massive leveller, isn't it? Because you're without some yes. of your first choice players for the best part of eight weeks. And we've seen some Quinns suffer horribly without Smith and Dombrandt in particular. And all of a sudden, you're going to see these kind of results that you thought, oh, we might be up there. They, they get taken away and other teams will be affected too. So it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes around. We've got the squad to play better. We should have won on Sunday. I maintain that. And that's good that we're thinking about a game away at sale, that any fixture, which we really didn't emphasise enough really in the last podcast. 
And we're talking about a game we should have won. Uh, there's not been many games away at sale that we should have won recently. But onwards and upwards, facing the Warriors this Saturday, three o'clock, tickets still available, I believe. Get down there and make sure the boys put on a show. No, nope. actually, before we sign off, we've got the three-word reviews uh, to go through, along with some of my four-letter reviews that I was throwing around, actually, uh, immediately after the game and during that second half. There were some good ones, actually. We got quite a lot of responses, didn't we, Elliot? And um, some pretty good ones. I'm going to kick things off with our friend from across the pond, the big pond, that is, in, in Canada, I think. Canada Jack Prime. Are you Canada or America, mate? Sorry, mate. I can't remember. That big bit of land over there. He his three word review was <laughs> his three word review was Burns Cramps style, which I don't think is meant to be a slight on Freddie. It's always meant to be obviously a delight of his injury, but mainly he's in there for a good pun, great pun work, excellent. And I thought certainly his absence seemed to cramp our style, uh, and obviously we hope that this issue he's got is dealt with as best as it can be. It sounds like it's something that just hasn't got away and is annoyingly persistent for him, though. I quite like Chris Cowley's uh, guy Porter handoff. I think I think that's a, a superb um, summary of that guy Porter try. I mean, it was a cracking finish, and that handoff and Fen will, will I think we'll be watching that quite a lot all season. To be fair, absolutely, absolutely piston. I mean, the, the super slow mo was beautiful. It was kind of a cross between a an uppercut and a gentle caress of Roebuck's face. Uh, it was completely legal. I think the TMO had to check it and came back saying, "Yeah, absolutely textbook." Niall McQuirk got in touch and said clueless without George. Uh, we're obviously talked about it before, haven't we? We've said, are we over-reliant on Ford? I think we are certainly very reliant on him. I think the jury's still out. I thought Freddie had a pretty good first half, but certainly something to keep an eye out. Hopefully we'll see a better performance this time around. Yeah, John Phillips tweeted saying, watch out Worcester. I think it'd be fair, it's great that we've got a home game coming up and we can get a reaction. And I think those two things is a is a good thing. I think being back at, at Welford Road will help us. So I'd like to think that will um, will kick, kick us off. So um, so hopefully we can tear into those lot. I forgot actually. My absolute favourite, absolute favourite is Ed Roberts, who sent a gif of Gattuso, you know, the Italian footballer when he was the manager. <laughs> and, he, and, and the caption was, sometimes may be good, but it only makes sense if you know this press conference from Gattuso where they said, what went wrong? And Gattuso went, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. But in that <laughs> wonderful Italian bouncy way. So that's excellent. Yes, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Not the most forensic of analysis, but certainly a drop-off. But I think that it's something that we can address. I love that gif. And to be fair, my last one, from Gigi Ancora, who put a disjoint game, which I think is probably a fair analysis of the eight minutes, to be fair. Gigi always has good analysis i find she always responds with stuff that's on the money thanks everyone for getting in touch and uh hopefully we'll have some more positive three-word reviews to come around next week okay well i don't have anything bad to say about elliot's cult corner this time i think i'll feel bad if i do say anything bad because it's the last time we're gonna mention it um, it is. It's I feel one like final it, trip. Yeah, one final trip to that seedy corner of the nightclub that the likes of Elliot lurk in. And yes, the lights are about to come on. It's three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and the lights are about to come on. You're about to realise <laughs> what you've been messing about with for the last two hours. Oh my god! <laughs> Apologies to 
any women who had to dance with me in my university days. So I'm sure it was a horrifying experience for all of them at 2.01 a.m. when the lights went up. But there we go. Uh, we did a quick sort of snap poll, didn't we? Eight for the whole bench for the bomb squad. Poll of polls. Poll of polls. We wanted the pork pie squad. Who's going to be coming on and <laughs> winning the game for the Colt Corner 15? Who did we have and what did we get? So vote one was for the hooker position. Harry Facker, Methin Davis and Tatafu Polotinel. And the winner was Harry Facker with 65% of the vote. Ted was between Perry Freshwater and Alex Marino. Perry won with 54%. Oh, that was a close uh, one, wasn't head. it? Yeah, that was, that was a pretty neck and neck one. This one wasn't quite so uh, so close. You were uh, so smug about this. Tight red <laughs> was between Tornair, Derek Jelly and Logo Mulapola. And with a fairly convincing 86% of the vote, Mulapola wins. And in all fairness, probably reactions to the fact we missed him off first time round. How the fuck did we all do that collectively? Because nobody suggested him either. Collectively, that is a big balls up by all of us. Actually, that wasn't the one I thought you were smug about. The next one is because you were upset you didn't get him first time round. Yes. So um, at lock was Brad Fawn, Marco Wenzel, Matt Poole and Richard Blaze. And Brad Fawn came in with 64%. Uh, the back row, I am very glad to see that the winner was announced here. Uh, I love all four. However, this was a very much a deserved victory for me for cult status. Brett Deacon in the back row, this is. Brett Deacon, Craig Newby, Henry Tuolagi and Lockie McCaffrey. Thankfully, the man that is six foot wide, Henry Tuolagi, won the day and we get to see... We get to see the arm plate, the metal arm guard, make a reappearance. So Put him on I'm the kick returns. The worst man in the world you want to see doing a kick return. That being said, I'm genuinely gutted Newby and McCaffrey in particular aren't there. And Deeks, to be fair. They're, they're all such great, versatile players across the back row. Uh, but Deacon yeah. Scrapper, like the one-arm death punch mm. of Brett Deacon. But, I mean, just having an angry Henry Tuolagi on the sideline, so the opposition see him warming up is is benefit enough in my view. Yeah, I mean, especially with playing a kicking game, we could just hide Henry and... I mean, hide Henry. <laughs> what a ridiculous statement. Yes, hide what? Henry to a larky yeah, in what? the backfield. Behind a supermarket, sure. <laughs> yeah, behind the cat stand, Henry to a larky <laughs> will be hidden um, on our kick chases. Fair, I was a bit gutted that Brett Deacon missed out, um, which, is, which is fair. Um, scrum half was between Jamie Hamilton... Julian Dupree and Adele Carduni and Dupree won again quite convincingly. Some of these were absolute whitewashes. The inside backs was between Humphreys, Dan Bowden, who we missed off from first time, so we had to put him in uh, for this one. Jeremy Staunton and Sam Vesti. Sam Vesti won that. And excellent. The last one for the outside backs. Hijacked. A certain someone may have uh, took this personally and probably rang up everyone in Canada. Uh, to, to get them to vote on this. But the outside backs was between Dave Lockheed, Steve Booth, Jonah Holmes and Blaine Scully. And the winner, this was a close one to be fair, was Dave Lockheed. And I toyed with the idea of setting up numerous accounts and voting for anyone but Dave Lockheed just <laughs> to see the reaction of Ian Morton. But I thought that might be too cruel and set him off on an edge. Uh, so thankfully for Ian's sake and for um, the virtual pitchfork he was going to go into. Um, Dave Lockheed is the winner. So we have a 23. I did think, which... should we void the Lockheed vote? Because 
he'd tagged a Rugby Canada supporters account to publicise it, and they probably retweeted it. But uh, no, I, I think we should reward endeavour and initiative like that. So well done, Ian. Well done for hijacking it. It's uh, And well done, everyone in Canada, for getting Dave Lockheed in. The Toronto Express uh, will be in service off the bench. Yeah, I mean, it would be very, very funny just to, to, if we turn around and said, no, we're going to avoid we're going to avoid the vote and you've cheated. We're going to take Lave Lockheed out. But I think Ian Morton knows where I live, so um, um, let, let's not do that. Um, so we've got 23. We've done our 15. We now have a bench. So let's go through the, the Colt Corner 23 again. And I think it is a staggeringly good team. So front row is Boris Stankovic, Benjamin Kaiser, Darren Morris. They're Second going nowhere in the scrum. That is a bomb squad in its own right, to be fair. Uh, we've got Leo Curlin and Jim Hamilton in the second row. Uh, Steve Maffey, Julian Salvi and Thomas Waldrum is the back row, which I think is a really nice balance, to be fair. Um, Sam Harrison and Jaco van der Vesthuizen are at nine and ten, respectively. Eleven is Johnny Murphy. Inside centre is Billy Twelvetrees, who has joined at outside centre with Matt Smith, with... Yours and everyone else's favourites on the right wing, Lottie Takiri, and fullback Matthew Tate, who maybe was a bit of a controversial pick. However, don't I mean, care. Court status, that don't time. care. Yeah, I mean, our game, our yeah. rules. Yeah. I think on this one, I wanted Matt um, Tate in there, and and I get what I well, I don't get what I want. I had to get your permission for it, but thank you, Elliot, for letting me put Matt Tate in there. Well, in all fairness, this is a democracy, and uh, people, people, it is a democracy when we want it to be. Um, so. <laughs> That's and Matthew Tate is at fullback, and I just to run through the bench quite quickly. The bench is Harry Facker, Perry Freshwater, Logo Mulapola, Brad Fawn, Henry Tuilagi, Julian Dupree, Sam Vesti, and Dave Lockheed. I think that's a pretty good <laughs> and all rounded 23. And I mean, I think that would do a bit of damage if we were to put that right out on us on a Saturday afternoon now. I think that would do a bit of damage, and I would, I would back us to win quite a lot of games if that was our start in 23. Be interesting to see what other people think. Make sure you do a separate post, I think, just setting out the squad. We'll see if we can tag a few of the guys in it, get some acceptance speeches. We got a like from Lottie. Uh, I don't think he'll be flying yeah. over soon. And oh, he did also comment because I said, well, then you've won a £10 Argos voucher. Uh, and he said that I, I could keep that myself because I don't have Argos uh, in Australia, unfortunately. But but then didn't respond to our um, invite to join us on the pod. Well, you you jumped in. You jumped in way too keen. You were offering to fly him out first class and meet him personally. I love you, Lottie. Too too keen. I was smoothing the way in there. (laughs) You can you can you can say that. I know what was in the drafts. I know what's in our drafts (laughs) for our account. Oh yeah, the ones where I thought, could we go and get this guy involved? Let's go and tag him. No, that's too keen, Mike. And I forgot to delete the. (laughs) I forgot to delete the evidence afterwards. Uh oh. Uh, Anyway, let's go and have a look at what we're going to do next. We're not going to put anything out there now. We're just going to let people know our musings, aren't we? But we're thinking potentially the overseas fifteen. We need a punchy name, Elliot's immigration. 15? Yeah, the, the, we, the issue is we te- it veers into um, quite dodgy territory um, at the moment. Our possible names aren't quite... They're, they're not as good as Court Corner, let's say. No. So we need something that rolls off a tongue but celebrates our imports uh, that we have had, of which we have had numerous great players come to us from uh, overseas. And I think the key element there is overseas. So 
what we're talking about here is Great Britain as an island and anything that you have to cross water to get here effectively will be counted as an import. So guys coming down from Scotland or across from Wales sadly won't be counted, but just so Geordie coming across from Ireland, of course, will be counted as will anyone from France and the rest of the world. So I think there's yeah, going to be some we're reflecting. We're reflecting a Brexit dealer for Northern Ireland protocol. If it crosses the water... <laughs> we did actually actually have no it answer. much wider. We did include Ireland with it, but then we had to get in touch with immigration and they told us that was a no-go unless we were going to have to pay certain fees. So it's just going to have to be Great Britain for now. But we will be putting something out there. We'll be putting our thinking hats on, thinking of some loose heads, I suppose, first up, won't we? So you'll be putting out a call to see who's been our best imported loose head. I think we know who that's going to be. Yeah, I do wonder I, I, who could ever that could be. I think we will see with this one. There will be some more obvious runaway winners, uh, perhaps, yes. but we'll see. Uh, anyway, we look forward to doing that, but well done to everyone in the cult corner, and uh, we'll put that team out so everyone can bask in its beautiful glory. All right. Now, as I mentioned earlier, very lucky to be joined by Jack Van Portfleet, JVP. Lovely to have you on board, mate. Thanks for coming and talking to us. First ever Tigers play on the podcast. How does that feel? Very honoured. Very honoured. Thank you, lads. Uh, no, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. How was training today? Uh, Mon- well, the equivalent of a Monday for a Saturday game, but Tuesdays are quite light. So, um, yeah, just went through our plays for this week and things like that and our game plan. But it's only slight. It's only a jog, really. So, um yeah, not too strenuous today, but um, all good. The- Is there ever such thing as a jog under Steve? I can't imagine <laughs> Steve that just allowed you off with just a jog. <laughs> well, they normally say it's normally like your feet on like a six out of ten, but mind ten out of ten all the time. You can't they'll try and catch you out. Um, Intensity! Yeah. <laughs> Yelled from the side. So first thing to ask, how many positions do you actually play? <laughs> Because you can, um, we, we were all surprised. I don't know if you were surprised coming yeah. on as a fullback. That's a that was a that was a new one for all of us. Yeah. Um, no, I got told in the week that if there was any issues or injuries, um, that I'd be covering fullback. Um, I'd had played there the odd time in my in my youth and things. So, I mean, not the same as Premiership, but I was told early enough so that I could get my head around it, and then. As soon as I saw Freddie cramping up, I was, I must admit, I was a bit like, oh. <laughs> but, uh, were you, think, uh, no, were you was, thinking of kind of like, what was what was Freddie Stewart telling me about high yeah, balls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I did. I did text him. but uh, <laughs> And then I texted him afterwards. <laughs> I was, there, there was a couple of nice bits, though, sort of an outside break coming into the line. You must have enjoyed it because you get a bit more space, perhaps, with the ball in hand. Were you a bit excited or was it nerves about it? Or um, Yeah, there was, definitely, there was definitely some nerves. Um, I think that was the thing. That was the mindset I tried to change about it was actually, you know what, you're in a load more space. It's just exciting. So make the most of it and... It was almost weird being in a load of space because I'm so used to a load of people around me and bodies all over the place and stuff. So I was, yeah, a bit like, oh, right, what do I do here? But, uh, but <laughs> Trust me, I, got if, a... if I find myself in space, I tend to shit myself as well, but for different reasons to you, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, you, you're not running around like slow props either, are you now? You've actually got a kick chase to contend with, which must have been, again, a bit weird. Although I suppose when you're playing nine, you do a bit of high ball cover yeah. as well. Yeah, you get the odd time that you're dropped into the backfield. Uh, like I experienced against Bath, which wasn't so good. 
But um, no, it's something I've worked on since then. So I've, I feel a lot more comfortable now. Um, yeah. We've now got like a new set of lads to boss around. Normally you've got the pack just to be arguing with. <laughs> now, you've got the, now you've got the wingers to be telling where to be and, uh, and arguing with them. Yeah, I felt like it was a bit like I was in the training earlier in the week. They subbed me in there just to get a feel for it. And I was talking to Potts and Guy being like, come on, do this and that. And they almost looked at me like, what are you on about? <laughs> you don't tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it was all good. It, well, actually, that leads on to something we're going to talk about later. But I'll talk about it now. So obviously you're coming through as a young nine and you've got big old miserable props like Dan Cole, obviously, is, is the main one. And, you know, hard bastards like Harry Wells that you're as a nine you've got to order around and you're coming in in a, more and more in a leadership role does that take some getting used to when you're a young nine sort of telling these lads what to do and where to be yeah I'd say it definitely takes some getting used to I think um it's something that they've been like on at me to keep developing and keep uh, not just the leadership but the the voice on the pitch and I think I mean the boys are professional enough and like Coley's been around enough that whatever I'm saying to him, I'm only trying to help him and get him in position and things like that. So um, they're, they're old enough and ugly enough to know that uh, I'm not saying things out of spite or things like that. So it's it works in quite a quite a healthy way. I, I, this is going to bite me on the ass because I'm now going to equate playing like second team Pisporians to, to Premiership rugby. Just a nice difference there is that when I've had to play in the backs and I start ordering people around, <laughs> I've had a front row on the floor and I've said, get up, get in the defensive line. And he just looked up from the floor with mud in his face and told me to fuck off. Yeah. I mean, you get the odd, you get the odd sort of scenario like that. Um, but yeah, a lot, uh, normally less than you do, um, than you do generally. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Let's um, turn back to the game just gone. Obviously a bit of a disappointing result. And the second half, obviously, there was a big turnaround. I think it was you know, 15 minutes in, sort of things started to fall apart a bit. And yeah. it's not like in a way we've seen this season. Yeah. So it's quite an isolated thing in a way. But what what went wrong from your guys' perspective in that? It must have been an annoying, frustrating viewing on the video session. Yeah, uh, it was something we went through today. Uh, we debriefed today. And uh, it's one of them that, um, I mean, you can't put it on one thing. Uh, there was definitely a lot of factors, but um, we knew it was almost the analogy we used was um, we almost we felt like we got burgled a bit and we made it easy for them like we left our windows open those kind of things like we just made it easy for them and with penalties and a few bits in the tactical and the kicking game and stuff and we just made it a bit easy for them and um, but I mean the positive thing is it's happened now and we know that if we're ever in that situation again we're we're hopefully not going to do the same thing Um and I'm pretty confident from the discussions we had today that it will uh, it won't be the case. When you look at those review sessions that you've been doing today and immediately after the game on Sunday, yeah. is it player led or coaches led? How does it sort of work from from that side? No, it's a nice balance. I think you'll start in the morning with your positional group, so it'll be backs and forwards split, uh, that kind of thing, and then you come together around lunchtime and you'll have a a team review. Um, team reviews normally. Uh, sort of coaches led uh, but it's always open to the floor in a lot of situations and certain coaches will take pets take uh, charge of their their area but then it's always open to the floor if anyone butts in with a point or anything like that it's it, it only helps us uh, the more voices the better really so it's um, it's definitely an open floor is it quite a cold you know 
no judgment, no anger environment, or does it get yeah. a bit fiery and get pissed <laughs> off at times? Were you like, you know, where the fuck were you? What were you doing? And stuff like that. Or is it actually no, very calm no. and collected? No, it's very calm and collected. We know that we've got a, a group now that only wants the best for each other, like I said earlier. And we've got a group that works unbelievably hard. And we know that if there are errors in the game, it, it unlikely is ever to be an effort area because of how we've been uh, coached and how um, how we've uh, sort of trained for the last two years nearly now. So uh, we know it's not going to be an effort area. So if it's just a slight switching off or uh, a skill error, then we know we can work on that um, at the training ground. But um, yeah, there's never it's never very toxic. Um, but if there's conversations that need to be had about effort areas being wrong and things like that, then Steve won't do that publicly. He'll do that in a one-on-one or um, or another player might do it to you because sometimes that's more more effective. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not a call-out culture, that's for sure. I think, to be fair, I think as fans, we've, we can definitely say over the last two years, there's no question about the effort and the commitment yeah. of you boys. It, it's it's probably one of the best things we've seen over the last sort of two years, the transformation in that area where we know when we pay to go, to go to games, everyone that wears a shirt is 100% committed. It's 100% effort. There's yeah. never any questions from from a fan's perspective about. Elliot wants to get out there. You can hear him getting himself. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's, it's Tuesday. I've got four days until the game, yeah. and I'm like, I'm ready to go for it. I, I'd be a terrible player because I'd be like charging yeah. around. Jack, we just need to <laughs> clarify around. that that we this isn't like a coordinated grey hoodie club that we've got <laughs> going on here. It, like, oh, it, no, you're looking good, lad. No, like mine. Mine is actually some like very old CrossFit hoodie that I like to wear around, so people know I did CrossFit for a few months <laughs> but it's also the hoodie I wore yesterday because I, I tried to find some clothes and my wife for the first time ever did some washing for me and I was like I, I'm just wearing a two day old CrossFit hoodie which oh, is minging lovely well, I'm glad I'm not in the room with you then that's exactly what my wife says as well a lot of the time. <laughs> let's um, talk about the, the squad in general because I thought that's quite a nice segue into about the, the work of the squad togetherness it's really good obviously today's been really exciting news lots of players sticking around some of them were part of that sort of younger generation along with you. And it's, there's a raft of young players coming through now. So you've obviously got yourself just name drops and people. You've got Freddie Stewart, Dan Kelly, who was obviously brought in, but then Chesham, Hayes, these guys, George Martin coming through. It's not been like that since we had sort of Crofty, Ben Youngs, Tom Youngs, that sort of Dan Cole coming through. So it's been a while since we've had this group. Is that exciting for you? And does it help with your cohesion that you've got this this young togetherness of guys who've been playing with for years now already? Oh yeah, no, it's, um, I'm loving being part of it. And it, it, it's one of the attractive things about being here that we're, there's a, such a good crop of us young lads and we all get on so well. Um, we're all such good mates and some of them I've known for, for years now. And even the people that came in, they bought in straight away to what we were about. Um, they're good with the crack and things like that. So like, boys uh they're they're a great bunch to be around and uh yeah i'm loving it how's the uh, the golf tournament going are the, is, <laughs> is the uh the rutland cup still up for grabs yet? Is, <laughs> is that now settled no it's a bit quiet now it's a bit quiet it's a bit too cold and not we're, we're fair weather golfers i say we are um <laughs> but we've got a yeah we've got a lot of like you wouldn't probably put a lot of young lads in a in a golfing sort of in a group uh you probably say with the stereotype of golf we're all a bit young but um through summer and stuff it was such a good thing to do on a day off and 
sometimes made you feel great and sometimes made you feel terrible. But uh, That's fucking yeah. diabolical sport. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to my, my uncle's sixtieth, and he had an old thing down at St Melian, which is a championship course. Yeah, and I've never played golf before, and they had it where you they announced your name on the tee. And they have people watching you. And <laughs> I managed to, I couldn't do this again if I tried. I got so underneath my drive, I chipped the ball up and <laughs> caught, caught it and put it back on the tee. <laughs> One of the most that's, embarrassing that's, moments. Give it to you, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, meant to do that. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, of, of, of all of you, who's the, the club chucker? Who's the one that's got the worst temper on the golf course? Oh, I've been, I've been around chairs and some foul moves on the golf course. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't want to mess with him, though. He's like six foot seven, built yeah. like a brick shit house. If he's yeah. waving a like, club around, yeah, I don't think you'd want to be in the middle of that. No, but he's probably the newest member of the golf out of the group, and we sort of got him into it, and now he's flying. But um, yeah, he's been in the first round of our Ryder Cup or whatever. He was my partner, and the team bonding sort of capitulated after. Uh, after <laughs> he was he was losing his mind a bit and I couldn't really put up with it so <laughs> it was good fun good fun um, you've probably got a few different cores in the club you've obviously got the older sort of core who came through Leicester you've got your young group and then you've got uh, the, the built on gang uh, boys who come through a couple of Pumas as well yeah. obviously the, the squad will be together but they've all got their own different you know sort of cause and you know probably having Marnie and Kitty as well how yeah. do you guys try and make sure everyone connects through those um, groups yeah it's always something you're always aware that they're always going to be close um, normally boys from the same country get on really well and things and they sort of live in similar areas a lot of them um, but I mean pre-season was so good this year for Obviously, COVID was a little bit more relaxed and we could do a lot more team stuff and went on trips like Jersey and things like that. Just simple stuff like that, just going away as a group, like bus journeys. You always try and you, you'll not really often see the bus with the South Africans in one side, the the RGs in the other kind of thing. Um, and that's that's brilliant. And you who, get, find, who gets the back seat of the bus? Um, who gets the back seat? Normally, uh, Wiggy gets up there, gets to the world towards that Coley, uh, Genji. It's always one. the front. It's always the front row who just. Yeah. Holds the back <laughs> seats, the old, that, yeah. that was the old fight, wasn't it? The old ABC club used to take up the back seats and John and you had to fight literally to get to get onto the back seats. So it's a, I presume it's a bit, bit tamer now, and they're not having to have a proper scrap if you want the. Uh, back <laughs> yeah, seats. yeah I've, um, I don't think I'd do too well in that. To be honest, so I'm sort of pleased that that got scrapped. But um, yeah, no, it's. Um, I mean, it is tend to be the slightly older lads that are towards the back, but um, you got to bring a good story if you want to get around the back. Normally, have you got any that you're not any that you're willing to share publicly? I uh, probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, the team obviously has been absolutely fine this year. We picked a really good year to start doing the podcast because we've not had a chance to moan about anything. But it perhaps it would be fair to say performances has gone through a little bit of a blip last month compared to the high standards before. How do you guys sort of address that and go about it? Do you, do you have to reset or is it just a case of that we need to sort of have a look at what we're already doing and just execute it better? I think like one of Steve's big things is win, lose or draw. We always learn. And whenever, a lot of times, a lot of times this year we've, we've won, but we haven't been very, very happy with our performance. So um, yeah, we, we, I mean, this week it was a big thing on, we felt we had a, Flipping Bondi's dog. He's just left the room. <laughs> oh, no. What was that a dog? Yeah, it sounded like, it sounded it like a cat dog. vomiting. 
It is the worst yeah, that... dog I've ever seen in my life. What, what type of dog? So is unfriendly it? as well. What, what sort of dog is it? Oh, here we go. This is Lila. Let's guess. Let's guess. Jack Russell. Oh, of course it is. Oh, what is it wearing? <laughs> I know. Why is he head? Why is he headbutting <laughs> you? This is a bloke who's wearing a two-day-old CrossFit hoodie, <laughs> screaming at someone, saying, "What is he wearing?" It still looks cleaner <laughs> than what I'm wearing, to be honest. Yeah, he. I don't know if it's him or Ellie, but. He says it's Ellie, his girlfriend, that dresses the dog. But mm. I, I don't, I don't know if I believe it. No, Bondi is the kind of person that probably sets up an Instagram account for his dog. I yeah, I, you know what? I'm not surprised if there is one out there. Last thing about the squad to ask was in pre-season that Bondi, I think, was doing a few of the videos like get to know the squad better, and there was a common theme, and it disturbed me a little bit. What is this random obsession with country music? I is saw Freddie Bird. Bur- no, it's Dan Lancaster was all over it, and I was like, "What's happened with that?" Yeah, and it is weird. It is really weird, and um, yeah, I can. I mean, Freddie's got or tried so hard to get all the boys into it, and I'm not gonna lie, I quite enjoy it now. But <laughs> the gym songs, the amount of times that we're pl- lifting in the gym's backs to country music is probably getting a little <laughs> bit tedious now. But um, yeah. Freddie had just came into preseason with a love of country and then went to Nashville and then that grew tenfold. So, oh my <laughs> God. I mean, he even got some fan mail today where he got a country, a Texas country music t shirt sent. <laughs> wow. You're not sure whether to be creeped out or really happy about that, I suppose. <laughs> are you? Let's talk about your um, sort of development yourself. You've got to pretty old heads ahead of you in Wiggy and, uh, and Ben Young. So I know you get asked this a lot, but what's it like learning from them and how do you stay patient sort of working behind them? Because at the same time, whilst you're like, oh, it's brilliant. So you're kind of like, get out of my way. I want to start more games. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I'm in an incredibly fortunate position and these boys have been, both of them have been so good in helping me develop and they help me improve every single day. And um both of them and I I when you take a step back and you think I'm working with a hundred cap international and a I don't know how many weeks got probably fifty cap international but it's um I'm in an incredibly fortunate position and uh the and you're right I'm kind of wanting to play as much as I can at the moment but um I've still got to keep learning and I know that I've still got so much to improve in my game and it's just the reminders to stay patient, keep improving, and hopefully my time will come kind of thing. But, um, yeah, they've been absolutely brilliant to work with. and Yeah, I can't really speak highly enough of, of them both. You're part of a crop of England young nines at the moment that are sort of around the country. You've got Rafi Quirk and Harry Randall in the uh, English squad. You've got Alex Mitchell and yourself, who are you know, not very far at all off that squad as well, I'd suggest. They're, they're all pretty exciting. Which out of them kind of impresses you and what do you think your sort of USP is that kind of sets you apart from them? Uh, I don't know. It's a difficult, difficult one. Um, I think I've, they've obviously all had brilliant years. Um, Rafi is someone I've played with for a long time, coming through the age groups, uh, under 18s and under 20s and stuff, um, and someone I get on with really well. And, I, um, and Harry and Alex have been brilliant, especially this year but in their last few years in professional rugby, I think they've all got great assets to their game. I think you can't really say any of them have a bad area of their game. I think for me, I've just got to, I don't know, I wouldn't say uh, 
that I've got to create like a USP or anything at the moment, maybe. But I think for me, I've just got to improve and I'm playing when I do play, it's, it's at the highest level and I can keep improving. And yeah, hopefully that's, hopefully that stuff will come. It's obviously my dream and stuff, but um, yeah, my focus is here really. And I've just got to focus on my all round game and keep improving that. And yeah, who knows what happens in the future. In terms of obviously how you've been going on this season, we've noticed that you've been given the captaincy a couple of times. How have you gotten with that? Have you enjoyed it? Is it something you want to do a bit more of? Oh, yeah, no, it's something I've I've really enjoyed and um, something I wasn't really expecting probably at the start of the year. I obviously had that experience through 20s um, of, of captaining them and it was something I really enjoyed and something I did a lot of work with the, the leadership, um, some guy who's in charge of leadership called Patrick there. And it was something that, I was I was really enjoying doing and finding my own way to influence people and stuff. And I came to Jersey uh, in pre-season and they were, Steve was reading out the team sheet and he was like, yeah, Jack, you're captain in the side. And I was a bit like, Ooh, right. Um, <laughs> so and I, I didn't know, but sat me down afterwards and said, look, I think it's a good opportunity for you to improve your captaincy. And then spoke to me before the Prem Cup stuff and said, just want to cap- you to captain the side in the next two games. And um keep improving your leadership um, it's something I really enjoy doing and I mean even when I'm not captain the side or when I rarely captain the side it only helps me around the group and only helps me on the training pitch and stuff to improve that area of my game and things like that so yeah it should only help me uh, in the long run I hope I think Elliot you had a nickname query didn't you very very yeah, I saw, worrying yeah Judas Van Portfleet well, is that the is that true? And where's the, where's that come from? Oh, who's, who's to blame yeah. for that one? I um I first got called Judas from when we were doing a drill in um when I think Steve first arrived and the boys were running back to do a kick return and I'd I threw the ball to, to be fair it was an awful pass and I think it was Jordan Cochran that threw it to and he called it like up here and Thomas just cleared. <laughs> and put him in pretty bad way and from then it was like oh the Judas Van Portfleet pass and stuff like that so I get that chat whenever I throw a bad pass and things and yeah it's sort of stuck which isn't a great it's not the best uh, name no it's not is it um, and, and I, I my nickname is Pumba so I, <laughs> I know a thing or two about a bad nickname I've been parcel to throw the odd riser myself actually <laughs> last thing to ask really is there's this flurry of bleach blonde haircuts <laughs> that went around under 20s I think but I saw Freddie Stewart got in on it as well um I'm not one to talk about shit lids but what, what happened with that is it, it coming awful, back it? yeah no 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 <laughs> I'm trying to stay away that away from that for as long as I can um we had a fine system in 20s roll the dice and they brought a load of people together and we had a COVID scare in camp and so they pushed everything back in the day and then they realised, oh, it wasn't, wasn't a COVID case. Um, anyway, they went right back, so you're off to the pool and I stayed there carrying my breakfast, ended up being late to the pool session and then boys, I mean, one of the lads stitched the boys up so went down in the lift before and pressed, I went down the stairs and pressed every single lift button in the hotel. <laughs> so boys, boys got, we were on like towards the top, top floor of the hotel and boys were coming down for a meeting and I think there must have been like eight of them or so in the in the lift. And they obviously stopped every level and they got out and they ended up being a couple of minutes late to the meeting. 
So we all got put in in pairs and we all threw the dice and it seemed every single pair threw the number four, which was dye your hair. And it just ended up, there was like 10 of us or whatever with beach blonde hair. Um, but it was quite amusing. We were all in one room. Just, I mean, we first started out all looking horribly ginger um, <laughs> in for not long enough and stuff. But um, no, it was good. It was good. It was, it was good like fun. Budget and sync group by the end of it. It, <laughs> yeah. was, it looked all right. Elliot, did you have anything else? Yeah, I guess that just for me, obviously there's been a couple of last minute winners over the course of the season. Is there a particular favourite of yours? Is there another uh, favourite moment that you've got so far from this season outside of the uh, the last minute wins? Oh, it's tough. I thought Saracen. Saints, Saints away is pretty mega. Obviously, for yeah, you, two late tries. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty fortunate. But um, no, it was, um, I don't know, it's really hard to put it on. They've, they've all got their different merits. I think the two I was involved in the the Saris game at home and the Connacht game away was obviously the ones I remember probably most fondly because I was on the pitch and experienced it at the final whistle and at home the roar from the terrace and stuff was something I won't forget and then away just uh, the points deficit we had um, was yeah it was awesome to be a part of but obviously Bristol at home was it was left like it was obviously something we also like we're absolutely buzzing with and still be me being in the stand. I, I was still jumping on the, jumping up on the, on the chairs and things. So, I mean, they've all got them, their awesomeness and things like that in their own way. But um, yeah, probably, I mean, I was part of the Saracens and Connacht uh, ones from uh, on the pitch. So they'll probably be extra special. Were you on the pitch at the time when Christoph Ridley did the, um, did smirk. the smirk and he went it's going to be a penalty try to- oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I fucking love that because yeah. he's, he's he's not doing it because he's cocky he's like I'm I'm sorry this is such a massive <laughs> yeah. decision it was quite funny yeah and it was all the leap from that I kind of got stitched up at the end to be honest because I'd obviously buzz in everyone's jumping up and down so then I ran over to Guy to like jump and support him like I fist bumped the crowd and then ran over to Guy DK sort of like runs in front of me and jumps into Guy's hands so then I'm there like by myself <laughs> like, oh, I can't really go there anymore I'll go back I think yeah. I remember that it was kind of you were running over for someone to hug and I felt very sorry again Elliot, was like, <laughs> Elliot wanted to run on and do it for you mate yeah. uh, no but yeah it was, um, it was some feelings to be fair mate that's brilliant thanks so much for spending time I know you just finished a training session want to get back home thanks a lot first ever guest on Rolling Wall really appreciate it mate no thank you very much boys thank you very much let's look ahead to what hopefully will be an afternoon of retribution against Worcester <laughs> at Welford Road Saturday afternoon 3pm Tickets still available on the club website. Make sure you get one, get down there, support the boys. Uh, perfect opportunity to bounce back, surely. Yes. I mean, if you if you ever have a, a bit of a bad loss, you want to get back on horse and, um, and, and rectify it straight away, then what an opportunity to do so at home. You know, there'll be a good crowd in, uh, straight as a warm-up into the England game. So, um, so, yeah, it should be a good afternoon of rugby, to be fair, with obviously Tigers in England. But if you're a t- Tigers player what an opportunity to rip in. You know, you're going to get a good crowd behind you. You've got an opportunity to put things right against the Worcester side that has had its tr- troubles this season. You know, we've had a change of, of manager there and Steve Dimes coming in. Jonathan Thomas is now um, departed the club. So 
it's a good test for actually for Tigers because there's probably going to be a reaction from from the Worcester boys as well. They lost at home to Saints last week. They're probably smarting from that. Steve Diamond is well known for being a man that doesn't take uh, any prisoners and wants 100% effort. It's similar to, in a way to what Borthwick does. So, yeah, I think it's a good opportunity to, to really put things right and hopefully we can get a performance and, and a good result to get us back on track again. Yeah, let's have a look at Worcester because Steve Diamond's come in, taken over from Jonathan Thomas, as was going to be painfully obvious as soon as he was involved as a consultant. You expect the thing that he was consulting on was hire me, bin him. And he... Some you know, report, isn't it? That's some, a good report he's written. Is it, isn't that what the guy... Was it at what Ed Griffiths did at Bath? <laughs> Saracens hired him to conduct a review and his review was, give me a job. Uh, and so he did quite well out of that. Though by Diamond, I mean, I think that, you know, what I think about how perhaps he's manoeuvred himself to get in charge is, is one thing. But what he will bring is aggression and toughness from a Worcester side. That can usually be implemented pretty quickly. His style of play will take a little bit longer, so I don't expect Worcester to pick up straight away, but I think they will be right at it, trying to get uh, trying to get a response against us at Welford Road. They've still got lots of talent in the side. I do think they will be hit hard by the loss of Van der Merwe, though, off with Scotland. He has looked very, very sharp for them over the last few months. Real attacking weapon, probably their primary attacking threat, and that's been very much taken away from them. And I'm not sure where else they're going to get that attack from. Their number eight, Valani, is a handful, but is pretty inconsistent. But I think that, all things being told, this is a team that we should aim to subdue. The defence has been off for the last few games, we're being honest. This is a time for Simfield to get the defence back on track and subdue this side. Yeah, definitely. If you look at the first game um, away at Worcester, it was it was characterised by some pretty good defence in um, over a 20-minute period on our own line. And, we kept them out and I think we only restricted them to one penalty in the game. And in the end, in that particular afternoon, our fitness in the last 20 minutes really shone through and we scored three or four late tries. Um, Nemanja, I think, ran riot and just blasted his way through and had a couple of nice offloads as well. So, yeah, I think there's a good opportunity there for, for Tigers if, you know, to control the game, get a performance in and actually go through um, all the good stuff they've been doing that we've seen over the course of this season. If you look back to the home game last year against Worcester, I think we obliterated them with, with a rolling ball try and I think we got three or four tries from it out of the five tries we scored. Yeah, Saints got a so, couple against them as well. And Saints are okay at mauling, but they're not a top-level mauling side like probably us or Gloucester or Saris, to be fair. Yeah, and I think if you're Steve Borthwick, if you're looking at your plans for, for Saturday afternoon, I think you can be saying every penalty, stick it right in there 22 and, and let's... Let's have a pop at it because you've seen the finishes that we've been scoring from. I mean, Montoya's second one on on Sunday. That's a fair effort and a fair amount of skill to to to, to get through. Both of through. them actually. Both of those malls were excellent. And all more fool me for taking the captaincy off Montoya. You didn't for the fancy league for the first time. I took the captaincy off the Leicester hooker. Fucking put it on Tyrone Green, didn't I? And he had an absolute wow. stinker yellow card as well. So lesson learnt there. But I'm going to very much pump all the captaincy chips onto whoever plays Leicester Hooker. So I agree with you. I think there could be some some joy to be had there in the rolling mall. Let's um, have a look, obviously, about the home factor. Welford, fuck, when was the last time we played at home? Newcastle. New Year's, it was a New Year's Day fixture. Or, or January the 2nd. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Bordeaux got cancelled. So it'll be over a month since we've been at home. And that is going to be quite a 
an important factor. It's been a while since we've played at home, so we need to actually give some perspective that we've had a tough run of fixtures away, and now we've got a good run of fixtures at home where we can try and get a few wins back on the board and really solidify our position at the top. What are you wanting to see from the side in front of a home crowd? Is it a win, bare minimum, or should we be expecting a bonus point? Um, I think a win as a starting point. Uh, I'd like to see a performance as well. And it's talking back to some, coming back to how we were at the start of the season where we were pretty good across the board and uh, we didn't concede too many penalties and we would manage our error count pretty well. And, you know, we, we had a good control of the games and it was a good reason why we won uh, a lot of the fixtures early doors. I'd like to see that returning to be fair. And then if Tigers do all those things and Tigers go and play to the levels and the intensity that they can do for 80 minutes, then there's no reason why, and really, being honest, we probably should come away with a, um, a bonus point. However, this is a fixture that has been played a few times during the Six Nations period. And it has been one that we mm. have come a cropper on um, in the past where we've lost at home to Worcester during the Six Nations. So we do need to respect Warriors. And we do need to, you know, we've got to front up. It's just like we've just said, it's a Steve Diamond team. You've got to have a maximum effort, maximum intensity, because they're, they're going to smart as well. So if we do all those things, I think we can, um, you'd like to think we'd come away with um, not just a win, but a, a, a bonus point as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that. I At first, I had thought, look, got to be a five-point win minimum from this because it's Worcester at home and all due respect to Worcester. This is a game that you would target and circle for five points. But given how we've played recently and given that we don't know what the weather's going to be like on Saturday, it could make things very scrappy where tries are harder to come by. It's just the way it works sometimes. What I would like to see is some fluency and cohesion again. There are times when that cohesion just is quite sporadic, particularly actually in the back line and playing off 10 and things like that. We really need to make sure that we back Freddie, get clear options, give him some good go-forward ball to go go through, and that communication in the back line is right up there. Obviously, hopefully we'll see Hanro back. Maybe he'll get a start or some more time off the bench. Namani's been seen training. That would be a Fucking hell, imagine having him on the bench. <laughs> Just to bring on a little bit of impact, perhaps, later on. We'll see. And Have a run around, Imani. Come on, yeah. have 20 minutes. Stretch your legs. Go and have a trot, see what happens. And, you know, it would be... There are a lot of things I hope to see, but I think, like you, I want to see a performance. I want to see some cohesion and some confidence get back into this side. So they are such a good side. And the effort... Steve is exactly right. The effort is always there now. We just need to see, uh, take it back in, get some confidence in what we're doing. So even if we do have a setback, there's no need to panic. There's no need to double down on our mistakes because we know we are good enough to pull them back. And that is what this club is now. It is a very, very decent side full of hardworking young players. What's your prediction on the score? Oh, this is dangerous. I let. I will, however, I will back us here because if we play to our full potential and if we put in a performance that we know that we're capable of. You know, this should be a pretty a pretty tidy victory for us. I mean, again, normal caveats apply. You know, we saw we, we put and dispatched Falcons away 31-0, I think it was. I'm not saying we're going to keep them to zero, but I think we're capable of having a pretty good margin of victory of, of more than 15, 20 points if we play to what we were capable of. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a, a, a pretty good, and I think it will be a, um, a pretty resounding Tigers victory. That's right. I also think Tigers by 15 is where I'm going with it. I think you raised a good point on defence there just quickly, is that I'd like to see us keep them to under 15, if possible. 
So I think that's generally seen to be about the magic scoreline where if you keep a, an opponent under 15 points, you'll usually be there or thereabouts winning it. And that's where we've been all season, up until the last few games, unfortunately. I forgot to say, would you make any major changes, any sweeping changes? No, I don't, I don't see any any need to, I think. The bench? I think the boys... Well, well... Given what we've given what we've said, yes, I, I do. In hindsight, maybe we need to rejug that. But again, I would, I'm not privy to the conversations that was had between um, internally regarding Sachin. I would like to see Kinney involved. If yeah. I, if I'm being honest, I'd like to see if he's fit. I'd like to see Namani involved, and if he's go, I'd probably start Hanro in a game where we need a reaction. In a game where we need to put, to put our standards and put a stamp back on on what we're about, I think having someone like Hanro back on the pitch is someone that's going to lead that forward. And I, I would, I'd be looking to start Hanro if I could, um, and I'd probably adjust the bench accordingly to reflect. That. I'd have Freddie at ten. Yeah, I'd be sort of tempted to have Kinney at fifteen. I've got to have Hegarty on the on the bench as replacement. Hegarty and Kinney slash Samaki because you would be able to have it that way then wouldn't you because you could always move Kinney to the wing you'd have cover so I agree I think that that looks a lot more balanced in terms of coverage in the bench so we'll see what happens either way get down there support the boys here's to a Tigers win on Saturday Abandoned ship the Rolling Ball podcast, for this episode at least, is sinking. Thank you very much for listening today. Elliot, I think we were going to have a collective moan about a certain Twitter account with the most obtuse position on the use of statistics, but I think this will have been quite a long podcast, so that's something to look forward to for next week, perhaps. Yes, it, it's in reference to Charlie Morgan's excellent Moneyball uh, article, so we'll save that for uh, save that for next week, and we'll, uh, we can hopefully come over it with... Uh, with Fresh eyes. No, bollocks to that. We'll let it stew, fester, and then <laughs> approach it with renewed rage next week. So we'll see that. And anger and bitterness, like the children that we are. Absolutely. Don't let these things go. No way. Well, for the rest of you, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week. Uh, let uh, JVP know, or Judas know, that uh, we're grateful for him for coming on the podcast. First Tigers guest, so that's a real treat. Uh, have a great week, everybody, and stay safe. Cheers, guys. Take care.